Today I'm going to talk about um, the experiences of mature students, uh, specifically in college-based HE. Um, and this is um, quite a personal interest of mine because not only do I teach um, HE in FE or college-based HE, I also teach access to HE, the majority of whom are mature students. Um, and so I think what's important about this particular topic is actually in comparison to some of the things that Anna was saying, some of the things uh, you know, don't necessarily apply to this particular group of students. So, um, who are college HE students? Um, we've got approximately 1,000, uh, sorry, 153,000 students studying in the HE college, um, and that represents about 10% of all HE students. And um, in spite of kind of more uh, increasing attention on college-based HE, this is a kind of figure that's been quite stable for some time, and I think. Um, college HE has represented about 10% of HE for a number of years. 51% um, of the students are full-time um, and 44% are part-time um, and 5% study in the workplace and this often might be things like um, higher uh, degree apprenticeships um, and other forms of kind of non-prescribed HE. Um, importantly 70% of students are 21 and over um, sorry, yeah, 21 and over, and 50% are actually over the age of 25. Um, so you can start to see kind of a bit of the kind of makeup of this particular um, type of HE uh, in relation to who, who it might cater for. So college uh, HE students are more likely to come from non-traditional backgrounds. Um, and this, is, um, this can be measured under kind of polar category, uh, deprivation indices um, or qualifications on entry. Um, they're likely to be studying in applied or vocational areas uh, rather than science and humanities. Um, and they're often studying uh, less uh, traditional types of higher education, including um, those kind of sub-degree HE qualifications, um, such as foundation degrees, uh, higher nationals. Um, one thing to comment on, though, uh, with this particular um, idea here is that actually there's a growing number of colleges that actually are starting to offer um, the final and third top-up year and I think that also says something about um, the type of students um, that are going into college HE and also kind of what they might um, expect from that particular route because traditionally um, or originally sorry when uh, foundation degrees were introduced um, they were to be seen as a kind of fa a qualification in their own right um, but I think we can say in some respects now that um, perhaps they haven't been recognised as such in the labour market um, and therefore often students are looking for um, the final, third and final year um, to top up to a full degree. So one comment before I move on to um, some kind of data. Um, in terms of what College HE is or it isn't, um, we've got a number of ways that we can understand or we can kind of um, recall college HE. So we've got college-based HE, HE and FE, higher vocational education, higher VET. Um, and I think the kind of ambiguity surrounding college HE and what it actually is, um, is reflected in the ambiguity of what we even call college HE and how that has changed. And you might notice that I might actually use these terms interchangeably as well whilst I'm talking about it because whilst I was um, doing my PhD, the way that um, I was referring to it um, changed in, you know, to reflect the way that other people understood it. Um, 
Often College HE um, in principle is designed to meet the needs of employers, so in general it can be applied, um, but that's not always the case, um, particularly in terms of um, degrees such as uh, creative or art degrees, um, which again can be seen uh, in colleges. Um, they're likely to be linked to a particular occupational sector, um, early years education, um, those sorts of things. And in some ways, they can be positioned as a kind of vocational HE for vocational students in that sense. Um, and again, that stems from some of the ideas about um, how uh, students are engaging in education at a younger age um, and considering how we might label students either academic or vocational. Um, often because of these things, because of the highly kind of applied and vocational focus, um, it positions the purpose of College HE as about kind of getting a job and contributing to local economies and that's often related to um, where HE uh, in FE colleges actually sit geographically. Um, they often sit in communities where um, there is not, um, there aren't other HEIs close by or if they are, um, they're less accessible to uh, particular students. So in terms of mature students, we can see that a large proportion of students attending um, HE and FE colleges um, are mature. Um, why do mature students participate in college HE? Um, colleges are often seen as a better um, place to meet the needs of non-traditional students in terms of small class sizes. Um, certainly, college HE is often marketed in that way. Um, in terms of mature students specifically, um, the increased flexibility that might be offered by um, colleges is seen as less alienating um, and a more flexible place to study. Um, the irony there often is that with decreased funding, um, actually these programmes are becoming less and less flexible uh, in terms of, kind of choices, module options, uh, modes of study, things like that. Um, and policymakers often position participation um, in this type of HE around student choice. So it's about students being able to choose, you know, the benefits of college HE in this respect. So what I wanted to look at within my own work um, was whether this was actually the reality of those uh, students' experiences. So the data that I'll be uh, looking at today is based on a multiple case study um, of seven mature students um, studying at a HE and FE college in the north of England um, and the case studies were made up of informal interviews, participant observation and uh, document analysis uh, to give a kind of overall qualitative picture of uh, both um, access to HE but also participation in HE um, of this form. Just to give you a bit of an idea about the variation of different students um, that I looked at, we had a good mix of male and female, and in terms of ages as well, um, you can see that this also reflects um, those statistics that looked at kind of um, how many mature students were over the age of 25. So we've got um, our oldest uh, participant here, John, who's 51, um, and our youngest male, who was 22, so he just falls into that category. You can also see that in terms of the kind of courses that they've studied, they've got a range of um, different courses there. So um, things like business, early years, um, acting, like I said, that's an interesting one um, in terms of a foundation degree. Um, construction management, again, very applied, health and social care. 
um, architectural interior design and music technology again falls within those creative um, creative subjects um, and again a variety of modes of study so about half and half so what I'd like to discuss um, today is, a is about the kind of diverse pathways um, of these particular students. So um, I guess what I'm saying is, is that um, in some ways we can actually see uh, the experience of these particular students and maybe try and um, understand that uh, from a local perspective a little bit better. Um, that's not to, to kind of generalise um, across all of these students. Um, and the way that I'm going to look at that is in terms of access to HE, uh, in particular looking at ideas around academic, cultural, social and economic capital and how those might influence um, access to College HE. And then participation in College HE in terms of vocational, vocational and academic capital. Um, specifically as well, I'd like to look at kind of the embodied, objectified and institutionalised capital um, that Bourdieu um, uh, frames for us. So um, the first participant um, was Matt um, and he's quite interesting. Um, he was 22 when he was studying a HND business. He was first in family um, to go to university um, after a period of um, going down a vocational route. He actually qualified as a joiner um, and then decided within, um, he wasn't getting much luck in the labour market and decided that he might want to rethink his options. Um, he didn't consider himself to have the right academic capital to participate in HE because he dropped out of his A-levels to pursue a vocational route in joinery. Um, and what's really interesting about his journey into HE is that he didn't think he had the right um, qualifications uh, for entry into HE, um, so he, can, he dismissed this idea and looked for more vocational routes. Um, he was going to come to the college to do an FE course um, and actually, the um, prospectus for the local HE college um, dropped through his door onto his mat um, and he picked it up and he happened upon um, this particular course. Matt didn't know that HND was a higher education level qualification, um, which I think in itself says um, something. But, um, uh, but the kind of biggest barrier in terms of access to HE for Matt was the idea around UCAS and the equivalence of kind of qualifications. So he says here, to be honest, he didn't know much about HE, he only sort of knew about the traditional routes um, and he kind of missed his opportunity. So he felt like that wasn't an option anymore. Um, and again, I think his understanding of actually college HE and the kind of qualifications that were available echo um, maybe some of the kind of more broader debates in FE around um, the value and just size and amount of qualifications available um, and what they actually mean to individuals. So in terms of um, social capital and the effect that that might have on an individual's um, access to HE, um, we've got Donna here and she was uh, studying for a BA top-up in performing arts and she'd done a foundation degree in performing arts prior to this and stayed with the college. Um, and again, she says here that she wouldn't have survived at university, um, you know, she wouldn't have done it, um, you don't get that one-to-one -one tuition. Um, and what's interesting here is this idea that I've, I've even been told 
Uh, and that was something that, you know, kept coming up, these kind of ideas about HE. Um, but they were kind of, they weren't necessarily myths, but they were kind of beliefs about HE. And if you said, well, who, you know, who told you that? They couldn't tell you who'd told it them, but they had been told. Um, and I think, that, again, that was to do with, in terms of Donna's social capital and the people that her social networks, held, you know, they had this widely held belief about traditional uh, university education that meant it was off limits to, uh, to her. And again, Donna had accidentally applied to a HE course um, because she didn't realise that a foundation degree was a, a, a degree. She thought it was a foundation course. Um, and I think, you know, that relates to ideas about kind of embodied social capital. So not just who you know, but also, um, you know, how those be beliefs are kind of transmitted amongst uh, different people. And, um, you know, university is just not for people like us. You know, it's just, it's just dismissed. And I don't think you can have a conversation about access uh, to HE without um, thinking about the material realities of going to university. Um, Nathan, here a self-employed electrician, um, felt because of his status as self-employed that he didn't have the economic capital to commit to three years at university, even though it was something that he'd quite like to have done. Um, but that was also tied up in notions of risk. So. Um, he says here that, you know, if you do it in stages, you're getting a little bit of a reward going on. So he'd do his HNC, his HND, and then he could top it up. Um, and this was less risky um, than going on a, you know, enrolling on a full three-year degree programme. So in terms of um, participation then, so kind of what the experiences of these students might have been once they were in the college. Um, I think what was important um, here was the idea of vocational capital as, um, as the kind of dominant form um, or valued form of capital within um, the institution as primarily an FE institution. Um, so the fact that the, the uh, mature students often had a lot of experience in the labour market meant that they held a lot of vocational capital. Um, which gave them kind of competence and authority within the field of FE. Um, and, you know, this actually gave them access to HE through the overlapping fields of HE and FE uh, because of things like um, APEL and the acceptance of non-traditional qualifications within the FE field. Um, so it was almost like a little gap in the field of HE that they were able to kind of get through because of the crossover, if we think of a little Venn diagram. Um, and here, Donna again, um, she talked about actually, even though that was the case, um, the idea that she could use her vocational capital um, as kind of entry into HE, but also kind of um, in terms of some sort of authority um, and uh, competence in HE uh, was challenged often by younger students who didn't have that vocational uh, capital. And she says here about a younger student saying, didn't you, don't you think you should have done a diploma first? Um, and then she said, you know, no, I've actually got a lifetime of kind of uh, skills behind me and, and that will kind of see me through. Um, so in some ways, that vocational capital was exceptionally important in terms of making sure that uh, mature students were able to uh, feel valued and accepted uh, into that particular form of HE. Um, and we know about um, often when we think about retention um, and those aspects of HE, often 
the sense of belonging and, and identity within an institution can be really important. So I want to move on to talk about the notion of academic capital in this particular sense. Um, because of the heightened level, levels of vocational capital uh, amongst mature students, um, often it was actually the development of the alternative academic capital um, that saw the most personal gains. Um, so again, Donna, um, she had a, rather a transformational experience, um, but I will tell you about where she ended up at the end. Um, so she was saying, well, actually, it was the kind of the general kind of graduate attributes of you know, being able to think critically, uh, being able to put together an argument and those sort of things uh, that meant she was able to have, um, uh, she was able to transfer that into her kind of wider life. And so rather than rolling over and saying, you know, you're right, you know, in an argument or in a kind of some sort of work scenario, um, she felt she was competent and able to actually argue her point across. Um, and uh, that often gave her, again, another sense of authority there. And then in terms of John, we can see again this idea that um, he could critique what he saw, um, he was more aware about things um, around him, particularly within the workplace. Um, and John was really interesting because he'd actually had a cold career in finance before he came to the the college um, and he'd taken voluntary redundancy um, and I think he was fairly well off because of that um, and he decided that after this kind of career in uh, banking and finance he wanted to go and study a degree um, for the reasons of getting a degree for kind of personal gain um, so his motivations weren't um, kind of employment related um, but he wanted to study something that he felt like he could make a difference. So John was doing a foundation degree in health and social care and was working with adults with learning disabilities at the time. Um, because he'd held quite a kind of high position um, in the labour market previously, he'd said that he didn't want that. But actually partway through the course, what we could see kind of with the development of academic capital where he was starting to kind of critique practice in the workplace, he was starting to think, well, maybe actually I do want to, I do want to hold more kind of senior positions there. Um, because, um, you know, I want to make a difference. So he says there, I've, you know, I've got two and a half years to go till retirement, forget it, but now I'm thinking I've only got two and a half years. You know, that's not enough time to kind of make a difference. And in terms of academic capital, often it was an embodied kind of, um, an embodied form uh, in the sense that, um, a degree wasn't about getting a job in the sense that you know we can see in, in kind of policy terms um, it was about studying something that they've always wanted to study that they felt they weren't able to study um, that you know when they'd left school and they decided university wasn't an option um, again these are the types of students that maybe Anna you're talking about that you know have to go and get a job so they went and got a job and they had a career um, and now they wanted to do something that was kind of uh, for them so and they often refer to it about being being for myself, um, which I think is quite interesting. And again, that kind of symbolism there around having a cap and gown um, and um, starting something and finishing it and feeling like they can actually do it. It's that kind of personal sense um, of what that might be about. So in terms of kind of final thoughts, um, it's difficult to say from these kind of experiences or generalise from these experiences. Um, but so a few things that I'd quite like to mention around perhaps 
um, the ambiguity um, of the nature of kind of um, college HE pathways um, is that often the way that we can see um, that they are um, positioned, uh, who they are for and uh, uh, who has access to them, um, doesn't always fit the needs and the expectations um, of the students that are undertaking them. Um, in terms of kind of the development of academic capital um, and um, that being an important part of these particular students' experiences, um, it does make me wonder whether um, actually access to College HE has in some ways diverted those students from a form of HE that might have been uh, more appropriate. Um, often the students would kind of reject in some ways uh, some of the more employability or uh, vocational aspects of their courses because they already they already had those skills they already knew those things they were um, and it was the more um, academic um, engagement with the course um, that often was kind of more uh, important um, so it might be the case that adults are diverted to HE at higher qualifications as a lifelong alternative um, that can be afforded by the student I guess both materially or economically um, and based on their specific position in the field of HE, um, their capital upon entry um, in terms of their specific uh, position. And thinking about the kind of resources or the capital that students have available to them, and particularly mature students that might differ from kind of younger students, um, it's a useful way of understanding uh, the varying or kind of diverse ways in which college HE might be understood, um, accessed and experienced. So.